Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Today is our 30th episode, and we're excited to bring you our first team All-NBA bubble team. This is similar to our All-DMV episode we did. Same format, but we're going to use our players to watch from the bubble in our lineup. So, Jalen, who is your starting point guard? My starting point guard is Luka Doncic. Let me tell you something. This guy right here, man, getting into the bubble, let me, let me, let's, let's put something in perspective. The Mavericks have not been very well in this bubble. Personally, I don't feel like they've really shown us anything that says that they're going to put up a very big fight in that seventh spot against the, the Clippers come round one. It's not looking very good for them, and they need to find somebody – as a spark plug, big time. But this man, Luca has been doing his thing. I mean, regardless of what everybody else is doing, the last game he played in, 13 points, 19 assists, 14 rebounds. Game before that, 29 points. Game before that, 34 points, 12 assists, 20 rebounds. Game before that, 40 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds. I mean, the dude is playing out of his mind. It's one of those things where, you know, it's unfortunate that his performances are not amounting to winning, but you cannot say that the team is not being carried by this man. If anything, they're losing in spite of Luka's efforts. And honestly, I think that, that has a lot to do with the supporting cast. Chris Stops, I feel like, is performing very well, but I feel like there's still another gear post-injury that we need to see from him. Seth Curry is a guy who, you know, he had a couple good performances in the early stages of the um, the scrimmages and has done relatively well so far in the, in the game's returns, but he's not really a guy who's produced a ton for their team. Outside of that, name a guy who's putting up crazy buckets for the Mavs, you're going to have a hard time looking for one and putting them out there and really convincing somebody with their statistics. So considering that, Luca is still keeping the team afloat, and he really is their only glimmer of hope so far this season. I would say that his performances in the bubble have been pretty breathtaking. So I would go with Doncic. I agree with you, and that's why he's my starting point guard. I think that he's been playing so well in this bubble. He's been playing. He's been playing almost with almost like a man on the mission, just because I feel like he's just disrespectfully snubbed from the MVP award, I just think he has been disrespected by not being even considered for the MVP award. He put up three triple doubles in the bubble mm-hmm. against the Rockets, Kings, and Bucks. Nearly had another one against the hottest team in the bubble, the Suns. I mean, he put up 40, 11, and 8. He's been consistent from the floor. He's been averaging close to 50% shooting-wise on the floor in the last four games. And like I said, it's disrespectful to see Luka Doncic as a finalist for most improved player. I just think, yeah, it does kind of belong to somebody like Devontae Graham of the Hornets, who I strongly believe was snubbed from this award. He should be a finalist in the, in the MVP. And, you know, here's a hot take for you right now. Luka should be an MVP finalist instead of LeBron. Instead of LeBron James, he says. Instead of the LeBron, LeBron James. James, who has led the Lakers to a 50-win season, 
the, the same LeBron, LeBron James that has led the Lakers to the number one seed. Yes, sir. He's had the greatest 17-year stretch of anyone who has ever played in the NBA. Statistically, he does not match up with Luka Doncic. I don't think LeBron James is the sole reason why the Lakers have gotten to the spot where they were at. I mean, Avery Bradley has been pretty consistent throughout the season. And can't you tell that they're missing Avery Bradley right now? I mean, yes, Anthony Davis has been – he's been playing pretty solid for the most part in this bubble and throughout the season. But, I mean, LeBron isn't going to be able to carry this team on his back coming into the playoffs. Statistically, Luka has LeBron beat in points and rebounds. For me, it just doesn't seem like it's a, it's a conversation. I don't think LeBron should be in this conversation. Well, somebody who is not going to evade our conversation whatsoever is the guy that you have as shooting guard. And I agree heavily with it. Would you like to share with the people who you have at your two-guard spot for our all-NBA bubble squads? I mean, is it even a question? It's Devin Booker. Yes, sir. Devin Booker is arguably one of the greatest players right now in the bubble outside of who both of our starring small forwards are. But um, Devin Booker is much like Luka Doncic playing like a man on a mission. I talked in one of the past episodes about how he's been playing so well right now, and he's been, he's been amazing to watch through the first three games. Of course, after the Clippers game, where, of course, he shot the game winner over Paul George, he put up 20 and 10 against the Pacers, and... 35 and six assists against the Heat. The Suns look unstoppable. I think Devin Booker's playing at a high level. Their only challenge right now is the Portland Trailblazers for that eight spot. But I think the Suns could honestly sneak in and grab that spot. I mean, to lean into that, first of all, we've been waiting for like, what, four or five years now to see what Devin Booker with a supporting cast would do. And I feel like we're finally seeing it. That's number one. Number two, is the fact that the Suns playing the way they've played is probably one of the most interesting things in terms of this bubble, in terms of the dynamic, the rules that have been placed for it, and everything in between. The bubble teams that were selected, when we went down the list when they were originally announced, we looked at them and we instantly penciled out the Sacramento Kings, the Suns, and Washington. I felt like when we kind of went down our list, we both kind of agreed that those are three teams that either aren't, we're not really built for the bubble or not really coming into the bat bubble prepared or just not a well enough team to hang with some of the other teams that got brought back for the playoff push. Not only have the Suns proven us wrong, but now they've made the race for the eighth seed very interesting. With the Pelicans being eliminated, with Sacramento being eliminated, the race for that last spot between the Suns, San Antonio, the um, Portland Trailblazers, and of course, the Memphis Grizzlies, the race just got way tighter. I mean, the spot is basically a fight for basically either between a game or a half a game. We're pretty much guaranteed a play in at this point. And the question is just take your pick for who the last two was, who the last two standing are. I think the Suns are what have really made this bubble interesting. And Devin Booker is at the head of that. And I mean, man, he's hooping. He's the best player on the hottest team in the bubble right now. And, I mean, yes, he does have a supporting cast this time. 
outside of that, though, I think, yes, the Blazers are pretty much their only competition right now for that eight spot. I think Memphis is slipping. New Orleans just got eliminated. Sacramento's out of it. The Spurs, they can put up a fight, but how, how much of a fight can they put up with the last couple games remaining? I mentioned earlier we both had the same small forward, and it's TJ Warren, the hottest player in the bubble right now, the bubble's leading scorer, actually. I think he deserves a spot on this team. I think the way he's been playing has shocked the league, especially considering he's on the same team as Victor Oladipo and Miles Turner. And I feel like the moment that he scored 53 points, he put the league on notice. We talked off the air, and we mentioned how TJ Warren really didn't get a fair shake in Phoenix, considering Jalen, you mentioned that he was coming off the bench most Mm -hmm. of the time. So, I mean, this is almost kind of like a prove-yourself type moment um, for T.J. Warren in his career. He's had a pretty decent career, but I don't think anybody would have expected this. Not at all. And like I said in another episode, though, this is what we meant when we said that other players needed to step up. Here's a guy in T.J. Warren stepping up big time for this Indiana Pacers team, definitely helping Victor Oladipo in the scoring department. But I kind of want to make a comparison here. We know the guys like Hoodie, Carmelo Anthony, Team USA, Carmelo Anthony, jersey-biting Kobe Bryant, mask LeBron James, mask Kyrie Irving. We need to insert bubble TJ Warren into that same conversation. Oh, man. I can't really fight you on that one, bro. I mean, the big thing is, you know, it's funny. We said that coming into the bubble, like, you know, no one would expect TJ to, like, you know, put up these kind of numbers this, that, and the third. And although that is expected, I mean, no one's dropping 53 points a night. The dude has only had one game where he didn't put up at least 30 points, and that was the 16 points against the Suns a few days ago. So, I mean, it's one of those things where, of course, you don't expect it out of him. But at the same time, TJ Warren is averaging 19.9 points per game this season. It wasn't like TJ Warren was averaging – 10, 15 points per game and just decided he came into the bubble healthier than everybody else and just decided I'm just going to drop 40 because, you know, it's just exhibition games. He's been, you know, he's been a prolific scorer for most of his career. And I mean, if he wasn't treated as like a six-man Lou Will type in Phoenix, I feel like we probably would have seen a lot more of him. But I think the big thing about TJ is what he's done stepping up in the scoring department for them, I think makes Indiana a lot more of a threat down the line. TJ is still signed with Indiana through the, like the next two to three years. They did not have Victor Oladipo for most of this season. Malcolm Brogdon was in and out of the lineup. And those are two guys that you definitely are planning on counting on further down the line when it comes to making true playoff pushes. Mind you, I just said those two things. And this is an Indiana team that still is the fourth seed in the East, which is probably the most impressive part about it. So I think the big thing is everything we're seeing from TJ right now is definitely a great sign for him in terms of his career and building a new stance, a new stature in the league with the Pacers. But I think that what it really does is it should make us fear the Pacers in the Eastern Conference a lot more than people tend to do, especially down the line. As the Brooklyn Nets come up with KD and things like that, as the Atlanta Hawks start to finally get their bearings when it comes to their young group. These teams are ascending, 
But Indiana has been here the entire time, and they've low-key started to get better underneath everybody's nose. I think TJ just kind of embodies that for the entire team. And honestly, I feel like all of the criticism I've given to this team about they need a co-star in order to be a top three team in the East, like the Celtics, the Raptors, and the Bucks are, I feel like they may have just found their co-star. Except, like, they need to look for the big name. They have a co-star for TJ or for uh, Victor Oladipo. TJ Warren's been shooting the ball lights out. And I don't think it's any question that he deserves the recognition that he's getting. I mean, he's looked a lot like Michael Jordan out there (laughs) scoring the ball. He's really been a phenomenal player for this Pacers team. That's honestly needed a boost, another boost, actually considering now that Oladipo's back and Brogdon has been contributing this season. Miles Turner's always been a contributor for this team. I think he's definitely a player that needs to get the recognition that he deserves. I'm assuming, Jalen, you have a different power forward than what I have. Who is your starting power forward? My starting power forward is not a power forward. I have to be, oh. I have to be completely honest. But I got to go with my guy, Paul George, man. Let me be honest with you. He's taken a lot of slack, a lot of flack in the last couple of days for his comments towards Damian Lillard. He's gotten a lot of game-winning shots shot over his fingertips in the last two or three years. And I do find that thoroughly, thoroughly unimpressive on his part as a top 10 wing defender in the league, if not top 10 two-way player in the league. But the dude's been shooting lights out from three, and that's the part that makes me terrified of what he's going to do in the playoffs. First game back, 6 of 11 from three. Second game back, 8 of 11 for three. Had a rough shooting night where he shot one of seven against the Phoenix Suns, ironically, considering the circumstances, but then followed that up with a two of four performance and a three of six performance. So to put that in perspective, PG-13 only shot less than 50% from three in one game out of five. Out of five games, the dude has been shooting the lights out through the hoop and behind the backboard. Like, it's been absolutely ridiculous. And I think the funny part about all of this is, you know, when it comes to PG, the first thing that we think of is he's kind of the co-star in this whole Clippers experiment that we have going on with, you know, raising this 48-win Clippers team up and inserting two all-stars into it and turning it into the quote-unquote super team of the league. But I think these performances have given PG a chance to assert himself and, you know, essentially put respect back on his name a little bit. I think that people forget, like, he was a top three MVP candidate, you know, just this past season. And I think that kind of gets lost in the fray because the idea was, oh, he's now hooked up with Kawhi. All the talk is around Kawhi Leonard and what he brings to the Clippers. You know, obviously, he's the one coming off of a championship. But PG-13 is no slouch by any means either. And I think that he is playing like that. You can see his aggressive tactic or aggressive willingness to score in this bubble. He clearly does not look rusty. And one of the few things that we have not really mentioned on this podcast a lot, but I think can definitely be conducive to this conversation is shooters going to shoot and that man Paul George can hit threes with the best of him when he's getting the type of looks that he's getting he's clearly knocking them down 
Yeah, I think Paul George has been playing phenomenal this year, considering that most of the year he, that he was out. So honestly, like he's been he's been shooting the ball lights out, like you've been saying. And I think now we're kind of able to see what he can do with Kawhi Leonard now that he's healthy, now that the team chemistry is high, and this team is now gelled together, and they know how to play. They know how to play and like work with each other now. So I think that. That's going to be something to watch, I guess, going into the playoffs, considering, yeah, I do think the Clippers are still going to win the championship, but it's just it's just how are they going to be able to do it, and will they be able to do it with sweeping in the first round, taking a game to six, maybe taking the Lakers to seven. Honestly, Paul George is going to be a big part of that, and I think we're now going to be able to see how he can play with Kawhi Leonard on this team. My starting power forward is Pascal Siakam. Ooh, I like that one. I mentioned him as a player to watch, and I believe that he definitely has not gotten the recognition that he's deserved this season considering the improvement that he's made from last season. But I think he's, he's, um, he's a deadly scorer and a versatile defender. He showed he could be a versatile defender against the Lakers with those two steals and two blocks and shutting down Anthony Davis, making Anthony Davis have a horrendously poor shooting night. But I think that He's put up some good games against the Heat, the Magic, and the Grizzlies. And I feel like along with Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, OG Anuobi, Marcus Saul, this team can make another run to the championship. I said that they could run through the Bucks. There's a chance that they can. I don't think that it will happen, but I think that this team has showed that this season they can compete. The playoffs have always been an issue for me. Maybe a coaching change was that thing that they needed. I mentioned how, you know, Rick Carlisle, when he left Detroit 2002, Larry Brown took over the one championship. Most recently, I mean, Mark Jackson left Golden State. Steve Kerr took over. You already kind of know what happened after that. Three championships for that team. So I think maybe the coaching change really was necessary to make this team a powerhouse now. Well, I'm going to have to take your take and raise you two hot takes. The first one is I'm calling it now that the Raptors are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. That's number one. Hopefully it's with the Celtics, but based on the way things are lined up, somebody's going to have to get bodied before then. (laughs) The second is that based on what I've seen last season and the improvements that I've seen this season as well, Pascal Siakam is slash should be inserted into the top five two-way forwards position in the league. If he's not already there regarded as a top five two-way player, he needs to be there by yesterday, period, point blank. The Pascal Siakam and the Raptors in this bubble have been extremely impressive because of the fact that they've done a very good job defensively against every team that they've played. And I think the most interesting thing about their team as well is, and we talked about this a lot in earlier episodes, that depth, I think, is going to play a lot into who wins the championship this year. Well, when you have Fred going crazy, when you have Kyle Lowry, who was extremely underrated at that point guard position, playing out of his mind, OG Ananobi playing extremely well in defensive end, Norman Powell, who is somebody who does not get a lot of recognition, who is averaging 16 points for that team right now. Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka inside defensively. Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, who's another guy who I think at that 2-3 spot 
gets a lot of good minutes for them. I mean, that is a team that they got the depth. They have a couple of guys who can really, you know, vie for a top five position at their respective position. And they're dangerous. And I mean, yeah, Pascal Siakam, I believe, is at the head of that with Kyle Lowry being the second most important player on the team. But that just goes to show you just how lethal they are. I think Pascal is a great option in terms of their uh, in terms of an all bubble squad because he has shown out. Yeah, and he obviously has had there's there's obviously players that have had one bad game in this bubble. But we're obviously not gonna hold them accountable because yes, they're they're just getting back to playing after four months of not playing. But I think what Pascal Siakam has been able to do is that he's been able to prove, like I said in one of the last episodes, he's been able to prove that he can do this without Kawhi Leonard. He kind of gave him the torch, and now Kawhi asked him, carry the torch, win the Eastern Conference Finals, go back-to-back. And speaking of going to -to back-to-back, my starting center is going to be, and soon to be, the back-to-back MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Back-to-back MVP. Calling it right now. Okay. Explain yourself, sir. Like like I said, I am introducing your rating and defending and soon-to-be back-to-back MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's playing at an MVP level this season. It hasn't stopped. He's scored over 30 points in all of the games that he's played in. And – Double doubles in all those games, too, except for the Brooklyn Nets game, where he only played in 16 minutes. But in those 16 minutes, 16 points on seven of eight from the floor. Imagine if he played the rest of the game. Come on now. Hey, listen, James Harden's a great candidate for MVP. LeBron, I've already said it, should not be in this conversation. But he caps off my bubble team. And I mean, what a better way to do it than having an MVP at the five. I mean, it's definitely hard to follow up an MVP at the five, but I got a pretty decent name to follow up. My boy just got the announcement that he will be getting his own shoe under the Under Armour brand and has been dropping buckets for the last two weeks. And that is my guy, the rival of said Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid has done relatively similar things to Giannis in this bubble. Out of the five games played, he's had a double-double in all but two of the games. One of them, he had 27-9. and Other than that, the only game that he did not have a double-double in was where he had two points and four rebounds, and he only played five minutes in the game. Otherwise, we've had a game of 30-14, and a game of 41-21, and 29 and 11, and of course the 23 and 13. So this is a guy that as a true center within his position has been playing extremely well. The news, of course, just came out that there's no true timetable on Ben Simmons, which means that a load of the postseason pressure is going to be on Joel Embiid going in, no matter who it is that they end up matching up against. And I think that Joel Embiid showing out like this kind of touches on a conversation that we've had in the past about whether or not the Sixers are going to have to choose between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons for the future and who it is that they would select if that decision does have to be made. 
I think Joel Embiid is making a great case for the fact that he might be the guy of the future for the Sixers if they have to make that choice. And the team has been playing relatively well without Ben Simmons in the lineup. I don't know if it's just the, the multitude of big guys that they've had in the in the starting rotation that's made it difficult for spacing. Of course, Ben Simmons not being a shooter makes things relatively difficult for everyone. And although he's a great facilitator, I would say that Embiid's ability to work on the low block is a little bit more important than Ben Simmons' ability to get a flashy pass off here and there. He is a very, very skilled passer, a very well-oriented runner of an offense in terms of getting others involved. But I feel like Ben struggles in the half court and is more of like a Lonzo ball, can get people involved best when they're on the run. And that's just not Joel Embiid's game. You maximize Joel Embiid in the half court, and it basically screams playoff basketball, which I think that with Joel playing this way is priming himself for this postseason run. How far they get without Ben Simmons is beyond me, but he looks pretty damn good right now. So with the way Embiid is playing, they're going to be a tough out for sure. Yeah, I think the Sixers are definitely going to be a team to watch just simply because they have no Ben Simmons and there is no timetable for his return. But with Joel Embiid, I think he is the future of this team. I think now it's just about putting pieces around Joel Embiid in order for this team to succeed. This has been a great show today. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Our question of the day is who is your first team all NBA bubble team? Of course, when you rate our podcast, make sure you give it five stars. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace. Thank you.